You're listening to the Felony Inc. podcast on the Startup Radio Network. In America, we live in a society that houses the largest inmate population on earth. And the current cost of mass incarceration via the prison industrial complex is incalculable. So anything that can be done to help curb the recidivism rate is incredibly valuable. That's what we attempt to do, one show at a time and one guest at a time. Each week, we interview felons and non-felons attempting to make the world a better place for those currently incarcerated, families, and communities affected by the big business of prison. Felony Inc. Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another riveting edition of Felony Inc. Podcast. I'm your host, DJ Dick Hennessy. Uh, broadcasting from Portland, Oregon. Beautiful day today. Uh, we finally got rid of the smoke and the wildfires, at least close to Portland. So uh, it's very nice. Uh, before we begin the podcast, just like to give a quick shout out uh, and remembrance, uh, rest in peace to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, huge, uh, huge women's rights advocate. You know, uh, it's going to have a huge effect um, with her with her passing and, and leaving us. But she's accomplished so much. And uh, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there before the show. Um, today on the show, we've got a really good guest. Uh, we have Chaz Moore from the, uh, he's the executive director and co-founder of the Austin Justice Coalition. The website's austinjustice.org. Now, the Austin Justice Coalition, for those that don't know, is a racial justice group that educates and builds community power for people of color who live in Austin, Texas, that need support, community, and liberation during a time of systemic injustice in America. Chaz, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. I'm looking forward to this interview. Um, Chess, typically how we do the show is uh, we kind of start with maybe your upbringing, uh, you being a first-time guest. Just kind of give us a, a little bit of an idea of what kind of led you into the field of work that you're doing right now. Yeah, so um, so yeah, I was, so I'm, I'm born and raised in, in Houston, Texas. Um, and then I was... Um, I, I relocated to Austin because I went to college, but, um, yeah, you know, a, a lot of the work that I do is based on my own, um, experience with the criminal legal system. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sad to say, you know, I, I have a, like a, a typical black upbringing, right? Like single mom raised by grandparents. Um, my dad was in prison until I was 17 or 18. Um, and you know, for the most part, I was, um, I wasn't a bad kid. I was like a, you know, a B student, um, you know, played football and did, went to church all the time. My grandma was like typical black grandma church in every Sunday and Tuesday for, for Bible study. Um, but yeah, then, you know, um, my senior year in high school, I got into, I got into some, some unnecessary trouble with, um, with some, um, some of my, what I would then consider at the time friends and, um, you know, went to the whole court process. Um, and the judge literally told me like that, like the, 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 the rap that they gave me was aggravated robbery. Um, even though I never touched anybody, I didn't beat up anybody. I didn't steal anything. I didn't pawn anything. Um, and the, the judge literally told me, you know, I know you're a good kid. Um, but I want to teach you a lesson. So you know, at seventeen, I'm thinking, you know, I was with I was with the wrong people at the wrong time. That that's 
that's a fair shake. Um, but then I very quickly um, realized that you know, like that's a that's a tough lesson, right? Um, like giving somebody a felon a felony record is is a lesson that um, keeps on um, teaching, and it's a it's a really hard lesson, right? Because you quickly learn about all the collateral consequences that come with with, with being a felon. Um, but so so yeah, you know, just like most Americans, right? Because we don't really care about shit until it hits <laughs> until it hits us. Yeah. Um, that's when I started. Um, my journey into criminal justice reform and I'm um, really trying to break up and, and shake um, this, this punitive system of accountability that we have. Right. Um, Cause you know, was I part of doing something wrong and stupid? Absolutely. Should I be punished for life for that? Um, absolutely not. Right. And it made college difficult um, cause I wasn't able to work. Right. Like most college students are working and, um, doing things to have money for food and books and things of that nature. I wasn't able to work because of, again, my background. Um, so I, I very quickly, um, wanted to make sure that we were dismantling, um, and, and breaking apart the system that's just so really messed up. But yeah, you know, I, I know that was a long answer to the question, but, um, it's, it's, it's my involvement with the criminal legal system that that really, um, serves as fuel for, for this change that I want to see. I mean, you know, it's a long question. Um, so it wasn't a long answer at all, man. It was actually uh, it was setting the tone for, for everything we're about to talk about. Um, so you're 17. You get caught up with your friends. I mean, I think every one of us at 17 is in that same exact situation, mm-hmm. uh, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because uh, we don't know any better. And unfortunately for some of us, that's how we learn, you know, is, is dealing with the criminal justice system and, and kind of, getting a little wake up call that way. Um, so you were in college at the time you transferred from Houston to Austin. Um, did, were you able to stay out of trouble in Austin? Did you focus on school or what kind of motivated you to kind of start moving in that direction, uh, for justice reform? Um, it, it was, it was a, a couple of things and, and I did stay out of trouble, you know, um, part of my sentence, which was so bizarre. I had to go to jail every weekend in high school um, and then I had to go sit the summer after my senior year in, in Fort Bend County Jail. And then I got out the day um, to move in <laughs> to, um, to to my dorm in college. Right. So it was just like this complete like, you know, now looking back, I was like, there was no way I was primed um, to be ready for college. Right. I just went through like this two year traumatic experience of being in jail for two months. Um, and now it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being shipped off to college and I'm, I just wasn't mentally prepared for that. Um, but so I think um, I think, again, you know, my, my experience with the with the legal system to the culture shock that is Austin. Right. Because I'm from Houston and I, I jokingly tell people all the time, like, you know, we didn't really see um, white people unless we went to Target. Right. Like uh, we knew white people existed and we knew they were a thing. But. Um, they were not in our schools and in our neighborhoods. Um, you know, like we only saw them at Target and when we went shopping. So now here I am, like I'm in this place with nothing but white people. Yeah. Um, the university, the entire city is just, it's an extremely white place. Um, and, you know, like I've said before, like Austin is the Atlanta for white people. Um, like if you're white and you're like 30s and late 20s, this is the place for you to be. Um, and, you know, dealing with, this new sea of whiteness 
um, meant that I was now about to experience racism because I like I also knew racism existed, but I, I didn't have to deal with it um, or not in the, like not in these very explicit ways. Right. Like like now I'm 33, I'm 32 and I'm old enough to realize like I was dealing with racism my entire life with schooling and, you know, access to health care and all this type of stuff. Um, and of course, like the criminal legal system. But now I'm actually like dealing with white people that are like, you know, calling me like niggers and, you know, doing blackface and, you know, spitting on people and throwing bleach balloons at people just because like we're black. Um, and then, of course, you know, black like the Black Lives Matter movement um, is really um, a huge part of why I want to get started doing what, uh, doing what we do at AJC. Um, because I was, you know, one of the the um, the young people in the streets organizing for Black Lives Matter and doing the rallies and marches. But I realized that um, I wanted to do a little bit more. Right. Because marches and rallies are awesome. Um, but we have to change policy and law. Right. Because policy and law is like our social contract. So if our social contract is flawed, um, then then we have to change it. And um yeah, you know, we got started in 2015 and it's been um, it's been a wild ride ever since. Um, but, yeah, I think I think those are like the, the key um, reasons why I wanted to get started and have something local. Right. Because I think Black Lives Matter is, is awesome, too, on a global scale. Um, but I think so, you know, far too often we um, as, as folks in the movement try to have like this cookie cutter approach. Right. Like what happens in Austin and how we organize in Austin may be completely different in Portland or Seattle or, you know, any place USA. So I wanted to have something that uh, was local and that we could fight and organize in a way that makes sense for Austin. Um, and I, th I think we've been doing a pretty good job. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, considering that in 2015, you were the recipient of the Austin NAACP Community Service Award. And then also in 2018, you were awarded Best Activist um, can you talk a little bit about those? Um, man, you know, I don't even know what those things are. Right. I think they're like in a box. <laughs> somewhere. I, I like, yeah. Uh, Still, it, though. It, yeah, yeah. You know, I think, uh, it's, it's always humbling to, to be recognized and noticed, but you know, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't even know if I deserve them when I get them. Um, but yeah, I don't even know what else to say about that. You know, I think, um, um, I, I think it really speaks volumes to my team um, and our volunteers and the people that actually make AJC like this beautiful organization. Um, and, you know, I tell people, all the time, I'm only the face of this thing. Right. It's so many amazing people that make this thing work. Um, and so many, uh, so many amazing people that actually um, buy into like this, this notion that we can change the world because that's what we believe in AJC. Right. Like, um, we are a group of like we're a small group of people that, that are literally insane enough to think we can change the world like now. We don't have to wait um, until the world explodes and like we have to build a new earth. Like we think we can change the world now. Um, so, you know, anytime I get awards and recognition, I think it's uh, reflective of all those people that make this thing what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the one thing is not only do you feel like you could change the world, like you are legitimately changing the world. I mean, uh, we're talking about you, you were able to create reform uh, with the police in their union contract. Said for 18 months, uh, the Austin Justice Coalition led a major grassroots organi organizing campaign. Uh, you demanded a seat within the city council. 
you were granted one in the police union, uh, and you pressed for legitimate reforms, and you won. And uh, according to that, uh, the police contract went from upwards of 80, 82, 83 million dollars to 44 million. It was, it was slashed in half uh, effectively. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think um, um, very quickly when we got started with um, our criminal justice reform and um, police reform advocacy work here, um, we were lucky enough to have uh, mentors and, and activists that had been around for a while, um, Scott Henson and Kathy Mitchell, um, who, who, and you know, Scott has this amazing um, blog called Grits for Breakfast. And I, I highly encourage anybody um, that's um, even vaguely interested in, in um, CJ and police reform to check it out. Um, but, you know, they, they quickly, and I think jokingly um, told us that, you know, if you want change, you have to fight the police union. Um, and I know now because I talked to Scott that they didn't think we could actually win that fight, right? Because it's not often that people fight police unions and, and get anything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like we were, um, you know, we like, at, I think at this point we had, um, we had co-produced, um, if you will, like a, a de-escalation policy with APD. Uh, we were writing a body camera policy um, that, that was going to get adopted and later did get adopted like this year, finally. Um, but we also realized that police union contracts are where a lot of like the policy shit goes out the window, right? Like it's so many loopholes and, and, and things that contradict what the policy says that make it okay uh, in the contract that we had to reform and get in the contract. So um, w- once we were able to get eyes on the contract and read it, we saw like it was some key things that needed to be changed. Um, and we came up with a list about um, um of about, I think 17, but we brought it down to eight just because we didn't want this huge list of things that was going to be easy for them to say no to. So we brought it down to eight. Um, and, and like you said, for 18 months, you know, and this was before I was, uh, this was before any grant money or anything. I was like bartending, um, getting home at four or 5 a.m., then going to a boring ass police contract meeting uh, at eight and being there till three or 5 p.m. Um, and the meetings were terrible because as a community member, you couldn't talk. Um, you can ask questions. They wouldn't give you handouts. Um, so we were just like, um, um, like the people in the courtroom that take the note, like the sonographer, I think, um, like, like we just had to take notes and, and, um, disseminate that information back into the community and really like build up this case to let people know why, um, you know, if black lives matters, if you care about good policing, if you care about criminal justice reform, this is why city council can't say yes to this contract because it's garbage, right? It was no changes and they wanted this $82.5 million um, pay increase. It was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Like you can't get more money when you're doing the same amount of work and you're not changing with the times. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, so for 18 months, we, we fought that fight um, in December, 2017, um, city council, you know, had the historic vote. It was a unanimous no vote. Wow. Um, and I, I still think to this day, Austin has um, been one of the only cities, a few cities that have said no to a police union contract and really forced them to like come back to the table um, and, and get the reforms that, that, that we wanted. So um, it was a long fight. I would not um, do it again. Oh, yes, I would. I would absolutely do it again. But <laughs> Um, it was it was um, it was very interesting, right? Because the union um, 
like they always do. They was calling us stupid and say we didn't know anything and our opinions didn't matter. But then when we showed up with three, four hundred people um, at city council, it, we were able to show them that we we actually did know what we were talking about and we had community support. So. Um, but yes, you know, and I, I think it's important to note that, you know, I think people that are in, in the movement work, um, fighting for change and police reform and CJ reform is we have to, um, continually, continually fight police unions and, and break that power down so we can get the changes we need within the system. Um, I think it's critical that people do that. So hopefully other people are engaging in police union contract reforms around the country. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's just one of those things that seems like such a daunting, you know, like everyone wants to do it, but to actually physically do it and be successful at it, um, it just seems like so out of reach for the, the average person, especially um, in this day and age, you know, in the information age. You'd think it would be easier, but uh, I feel like nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, so after you, I mean, that that would have been a big shot in the arm when you were able to get that unanimous vote. Uh, right now, as it stands, since uh, that victory, do you have anything else in the works right now? Are you are, are you hoping for anything? Um, are, you, are you still working on doing more police reform, or is your focus in another area? Um, so right now, we're doing um, we're doing a few different things. Um, mainly, we are we are actively. Um, I'm trying to say I don't know because I, I don't want to say we're fighting the right. Um, but but we're actively trying to educate people on what just happened around the defunding that we had. Um, you know, we were able to convince city council um, to reallocate $150 million from the police budget, right? Which is another big fucking thing that Austin, like Austin is okay when it comes to like police change. Like we, we try to like really be on the front edge of that. Um, and so once we did that, like, the, the the statewide police union group put up this billboard saying, you know, Austin defunded the police in at your own risk and all this fear mongering and <laughs> crazy stuff like that. So yeah. uh, we're working on a campaign just, I think, similar to New York, where we're letting people know um, that all that is bullshit. Everybody's still safe. Austin is one of the safest cities. Um, and yes, we need to take more money from the police so we can alloc- reallocate it to um, other arms and, and, and entities within public safety. Um, so we're doing that. We, we are actively um, inviting and engaging the community to think about a world without police. Uh, we have a weekly um, um, Zoom webinar where we invite people to talk about different aspects of, of safety and public safety and what a role without, uh, what a role without police could look like and feel like and taste like. Um, we're also actively engaged in like housing, making sure we have, um, affordable housing, um, and, and make sure it's accessible to everybody and not just rich people. Um, transit is something that we're also, um, really into right now to make sure that, um, like with most transit, um, we build transit for people that need it, but then we don't secure the housing around the transit. So now these people are displaced. Um, so, you know, just like we have our eyes and ears on everything because we know everything, if not careful, um, will, will, will automatically, um, like kind of fall into like this inequity because that's the way, that's the way we operate in this country. Like we don't really have the, the, the forethought to, to be mindful about, um, others and, and how this is affecting another group of people. So, 
Um, anything in Austin where we think black and brown people and poor people are going to be um, um, not thought of, we, 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 we do our damnedest to make sure that uh, we, we have eyes on it. So I think th- those are big things right now. And also, you know, with COVID, uh, we, we've been doing our best to make sure we can provide resources to um, the community that, that may not be getting this, this you know, the Trump checks or whatever. Um, and people, you know, I mean, people that are not having um, um, gainful employed right now, like we just want to make sure we can take care of the community. So um, we've been doing a lot, man. It's, it's a lot going on. And, um, you know, again, I'm glad my team is, is so amazing and so awesome to where we can spread this workout and be able to um, be in so many rooms and spaces to make sure that, you know, we have um, at least a black and brown perspective um, on a lot of these issues, because a lot of times in Austin, um, you know, it's either one black person or a token black person that's not going to speak out, but um, that's definitely not us. So, um, yeah, yeah, you know, again, we 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 have we have our eyes and ears on on a little on, on a little bit of everything right now. Man, it's a beautiful thing, and I'm glad you brought up uh, Corona in prison too, man. Um, that's one of the things I try to I try to chime in about ever since uh, the quarantine began. And this whole thing is like in Oregon, the biggest, uh, you know, they have the what businesses had the biggest outbreaks of coronavirus. And by far, the uh, the business of prison in Oregon has had substantial outbreaks, more than more so than anywhere else. Um, and I'm assuming in Texas, more of the same. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Um, I think um, I think for a quick second we act like we cared about people in prison and in regards to the coronavirus. And then like after that second, we went back, we went right back to treating people in jails and prisons like their shit. Right. Um, yeah. And we stopped caring about their health. Um, like, you know, like here our sheriff um, was doing a lot to make sure that if people that need to be in jail, um, you know, for like low level or nonviolent stuff that we could get them out. Um, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know if that's still going on, but I think around the country, I saw like this very, um, quick wave of, of care. And then like this, this also, I, I will see even more quick, um, ebb and flow of, of like people caring. Right. It was like, okay, let's just worry about the people that are not in prison. Right. Because these people in prison, yeah, I mean, and you know how it is. like you know how it is, right? We think people in prison just all deserve to like die and right away. So it's like we start putting our money and resources and care into other things, and you know, I I don't even know if, if it's any more to the conversation. Um, I think once we realize that, um, you know, people in prison and jails are people too. Um, I don't think that's going to change. Like we, we never care about people in jails and prisons. And I don't think um, I thought Corona was going to change it for a second, but then I was like, oh, okay, there it is. Right. We went right back um, to, to um, treating people that are incarcerated, like they're not human. So like, you know, I, I think on a, on a wide scale, I'm not saying like you and I, but on a wide community scale um, until we learn how to um, see those people as human and treat them humanely, I mean, then like shit like that is always going to happen. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole premise and goal of this show and this podcast is just to curve the recidivism rate, you know, really try to shine a light on what's really going on and what the, I mean, there's, there's so many things that could be improved and uh coronavirus is just a glaring example of 
how easy it is just to drop the ball and for what for your political objectives you know like for instance oregon uh kate brown just wouldn't she just wouldn't release prisoners you know so it's like a knee-jerk reaction that wouldn't happen so i mean you could and we're talking about releasing people that are they're almost their time's almost up the non-violent offenses stuff like that she was she wouldn't budge on that and then surprise surprise it's the biggest uh it's the biggest outbreaks Yep, and uh, then a ton of people are suffering because of it, and still to this day. And uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully that changes. But um, one thing that you were kind of talking about, you touched on a little bit, was uh, the the crime in Austin, the crime on the rise in Austin. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, it, again, let's not talk about because that's not true, right? That's why it, I wanted to bring it up. It, it's complete. <laughs> it's complete cop and police. You know, blue lives matter, fear mongering. It, yeah. it, it, it it's not real like 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 i think in june just for an example right june of 2019 we we may have had like two murders and then june 2020 it went up to like three or four and and so you know people are literally saying oh my god the the the, the violent crime rate in june doubled since last year yes because it, it only went up from two to four right so like that's not a real crime spike like that's 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 all bullshit. Like that's not a real thing. Um, yeah. Austin is literally, I think, the second um, safest biggest city in Texas compared to like, like I think El Paso is first. So you know, again, it's it's this it's this weird thing where um, police and police supporters and people that are afraid of people of color and black people um, just they 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 need people to buy into like this notion of fear so they can keep supporting the status quo. When the conversation we're having around the country right now is like, actually what is safety? Like is, is safety something that's afforded to everybody, right? Because um, if I call the cops, I have to like mentally prepare myself um, about a few different things, right? Am I, am, am, am I willing to put somebody else's life at risk um, because we know how the cops act when they show up. And also, am I willing to put myself at risk? Because when the cops show up, I'm the suspect, right? Like, no, even though I'm the one that calls them. Um, so it's really just people not wanting. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's like the status quo. It's like the right not wanting people to um, really think outside of this box of policing and public safety in terms of policing, right? Public safety has to mean so much more than just policing. Like policing is like the after, right? It's, it's, I tell people all the time, police do not prevent crimes. We call them after the sexual assault. We call them after the murder. We call them after the bad thing has happened, right? Like how about we reimagine public safety to mean like investing in communities and people to make sure we can prevent harm from happening in the first place, right? So it's this notion that um, people, um, are saying, you know, in a world without police is going to be like all this chaos and fury. And I tell people all the time, I don't know about chaos and fury, but yes, bad things are still going to happen until we get to the root causes of why bad things are happening. Right. So, I mean, it's just, it's all bullshit. Like there, Austin is one of the safest cities in the world, I would argue. And if you're white, it's super safe. Like <laughs> you'll be fine. I guarantee it. Um, on that note, and you're absolutely right. I want to pick up on that after the commercial break. Let's take a quick commercial break, pay some bills, and we'll be right back. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. 
Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. All right, and welcome back to Felony Podcast. If you're just joining us, our guest today is Chaz Moore, Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Austin Justice Coalition. And once again, that website's austinjustice.org. So Chaz, we were just talking about something interesting. Um, I kind of want to elaborate on it just a little bit. So you're saying Austin is, the, if not the safest city in, in Texas, the second city, safest city. Um, Portland, Oregon, I consider it to be like almost a, it's, it's like Austin, Texas, but in another dimension, like an alternate universe. Uh, Portland has openly stolen the Austin slogan, which is keep Austin weird. And now keep Portland weird is the big, the big deal. Um, Voodoo Donuts, which started up in Portland, Oregon, it's world famous now, has a location in Austin. Um, I could just go on and on about the comparisons. I mean, the food scene, everything is pretty much the exact same but just in a different environment, which is really weird to me. And uh, this is actually the first time having a guest from Austin, so I just was going to elaborate on a couple things. Um, Portland is the widest big city in America statistically mm. um, due to just a, a ton of uh, things that happen with the foundation of the state and, and all that. And then you're saying Austin is virtually the exact same situation. Um, with, what's interesting to me is, that Portland and Austin both have a very big influx of like young creative people, you know, obviously South by Southwest is in Austin, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Portland has done over a hundred consecutive days of protests and there's been a lot of rioting and things of that nature. Uh, Austin has been on par with that, if I'm not mistaken as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming you've never been to Portland before. Uh, no, not yet. It is yeah. on my list, though. Yeah. And uh, I saw that you just went to, um, what was it, Minneapolis to, in support of Breonna Taylor? No, I went to um, I went to Grand Rapids. I was Grand there Rapids, for work, and, um, um, you know, just it just so happened that um, I learned that she was from Grand Rapids. So um, I had a chance to go by and see the mural that some community folks had done. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty dope to be in her hometown. And just recently, this week, it was reported that they reached a settlement with the with the state for, I think it was fifteen million dollars or something like that. Uh, yeah, I think like twelve or fifteen. Um, yeah, and you know, I think that that's something that I've been watching because I I hope that um, this isn't. You know, I'm I'm hoping that that's just like a civil thing, right? Because you still have the criminal side of. Um, the whole incident, which is the murder, right? Um, and it, it's it's quite typical that people get cash settlements on the civil side. So hopefully, um, well, you know, first of all, if 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 the family is happy, if if the family sees this as um, um, justice for them, then I'm I'm happy. Um, 
but also, you know, I really hope that we can hold those officers that were responsible for that um, accountable um, because, you know, it's just it's senseless what happened to her. Oh, absolutely. I feel like you're hoping that uh, where you were getting at was uh, you're hoping that doesn't set precedence to where when shit like this occurs, that people just get a cash settlement and kind of forget about it. You know, we, yep, we still yep. absolutely um, have to hold uh, those police officers accountable. Uh, for their actions in that situation, you know, and, and as time is progressing, we're seeing that they uh, are attempting to try to get people to testify that she was part of some kind of drug organization or just besmudge her name to kind of lighten the blow of things. Yep. And um, I, my, that's basically my main concern is that now the, that the settlement is done, um, that they're kind of just keep pushing and pushing until they hopefully just goes away. So I think the more that we continue to bring it up, uh, hopefully something is done with that. But it's just outlandish. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just outlandish. Um, One thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, just to change gears a little bit, uh, what is Project Orange? Project Orange is our um, voter registration effort for people that are currently incarcerated. Um, In Texas, um, you can vote as long as you are not um on felony probation i believe yeah i think it's just felony probation um and a lot of people in travis county jail um i think the last time we looked at the data it was about you know 55 percent of people are sitting sitting in jail haven't been convicted um so we just really want to make sure that we can register people um that are in jail to vote um but also like we we, we have been actively working on getting um getting voting polls and booths at the jail, right? It's, it, and it's really a part of this grand scheme um, of, of, of bringing humanity back to people that are incarcerated, right? Just because these people are being held accountable in this, you know, carceral state um, doesn't mean that they should be cut off from the world completely. And, you, you, you know, like that's, that's part of the whole problem with jails and prisons, right? Like it, 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 it doesn't help people um become quote unquote um rehabilitated when we cast them away right like the the true way to rehabilitation is by shit getting closer and loving people closer when they mess up and when they do harm um but yeah like project orange we we go in and we help people register to vote um and hopefully within the next year or two we can start getting voting um boots at the jail so these people can vote if they're eligible to vote so it's just really about restoring um the humanity and people that are incarcerated and also, um, yeah, helping them practice their constitutional right to vote. I mean, that's huge. You know, never, never more in history is it more important to be able to vote and just be able to have the right to vote. And, uh, obviously that's taken away from a lot of people that are felons or currently in prison. So that's, that's really an impressive, uh, concept right there. Um, you know, one thing that I'm kind of wondering about too is, uh, you were able to secure a $150,000 grant for the Austin Justice Coalition. Is that correct? Yes, through Nathan Cummins, I believe. That's the one you're talking about. So basically, a lot of people, I, I, th- I feel like, especially in, in Portland, you know, where I'm from, there's a ton of community activists. I know a bunch of them. Um, they're very passionate about doing what, you know, trying to change things, trying to get, you know, things, the ball rolling on stuff that you've already done. Essentially, I think instead of cutting, you know, the police budget in half with the union, we've been able to successfully cut the, the police budget by like one twentieth or something like that. So it's far it's far from what you've accomplished. 
But if you were going to, let's say hypothetically someone was to ask you, you know, Chaz, how do I attain, not only do how I, how do I start my own uh, coalition, but how do I begin to secure grant money to be able to actually make a difference? Uh, what advice would you give them? Um, so, so in, in regards of like starting an organization, you know, first I would say make sure um, there's not another organization around that, that you can probably plug into, um, which was the only reason, like, I wish we had, um, you know, a reliable NAACP chapter, right? Or I wish we had um, another group that I could have just plugged into. I think that would have been ideal, but we didn't. We didn't have a place where people could um, come and, and unlearn the white, like, you know, unlearn white supremacy and fight the system and, and, and like learn together. Right. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a place to where you have to know all the things. Um, yeah, but yeah, I would say, make sure that this, that this thing doesn't exist. Um, if you can plug in somewhere, then plug in. Um, and then I think it's really important too to like set a clear vision and goals of what, what you all want, because even within like the movement, right. Um, it's some friction because not, a not, a, not all of us agree on everything. Right. Um, you know, I know people that still want jails and prisons, and I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm not down with that. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. Um, so, you know, make sure it's also like, um, you know, when you set the table, make sure you know what's on the menu. Make sure you know that everybody's going to enjoy the food and all that type of stuff. And then, you know, when it comes to the grants, man, I have no idea. I've just been so blessed. Um, and, you know, I, but I also think it comes because of the work. I think when you do the work, um, I think the universe or God or Beyonce, whatever that thing you, you believe in, um, I think I think it I think it take, takes care like it, it will take care of you. So um, and I, I will I'll definitely tell anybody listening that, you know, that's one grant. Right. Like they're not seeing the 50 times people have told me no. Um, so, you know, I think it's I think it's a. A persistency that has to come with that. Um, but first and foremost, right? I think, um, you know, if the money comes or not, are you willing to do the work, right? Like even when this money runs out, um, I think me and my team will still be here doing this work. I will say the money makes it a lot easier for absolutely sure. Um, but you know, the money can't be the motive or the mission. It has to. That has to be in complete afterthought. But. Um, there are a lot of grants and things out there specifically right now um, as we're in like this transformational stage in this country. Um, and, uh, you know, you just got to apply and apply again and again and again until they say yes. And would you recommend like, uh, you know, acquiring legal counsel to help apply or just go all out and just keep doing it until you start getting uh, some kind of traction? Yeah. You know, I've, n- I've never had legal help. Um, you know, it's, it's really simple. Um, it's just, making sure you have a clear cut goal um, and vision and just put it on paper. And, you know, again, I mean, that's all you can do. And the worst they can tell you is no. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it just, just do the work and apply and keep doing the work and keep applying. And they had to have been huge for you when that came through and, you know, you got to meet with the mayor and everything. I mean, that's just kind of, to me, uh, gigantic justification for all the hard work and the dedication you've had for this and put in. So, uh, just you know, congratulations again. I know it's been a couple of years, but that's a big that's a big deal in my opinion. Um, no, no, I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Of course. 
Uh, in your bio, it said that you're an avid, avid reader. Uh, you like to read a lot. Do you have a favorite book or a book that you would very much recommend to people right now? Um, a f- oh, my favorite book of all time is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Um, I think every human should read that book. It, it, it just, you know, for me, it, it helped me really um, decide that I'm going to control my life and I'm going to control it this way and in this manner. Um, and it's just like all about destiny. I, I, by far my most favorite book of all time. Um, another good book that I thoroughly enjoyed was Until We Reckon um, by Daniel Serrett, who's based out of, I think, Brooklyn. Um, really good book, um, that, which, again, talks about how um, you know, fucked up our, our prison system is. And really uh, how this entire legal system that's based on like punitive, like we, we have to get outside of this mindset of, of punitive harm when people mess up. Like we have, it, there are other ways to, to heal and, and, and hold people accountable. Um, really good book. But other than that, man, like if it's about um, anything about like African-American history or just like social and racial justice, I'm, 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 I'm a fan of, um, and quite recently I've been reading, um, a lot of other books. Um, it's a book called, um, transgender, transgender history. Um, you know, j- just because as we fight for this, this world of, of freedom and peace, I want to make sure that I know as much as I, I can about all the communities that I'm fighting for. So, um, yeah, you know, I think I think knowledge is 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 important, especially today. Because oh my god, <laughs> I think it's important to um, to learn as much as you can. And also, I think um, you know, books are just really um, safe places to get lost in in today's crazy world. Yeah, it's you know, and, and one of the things, especially with today's crazy world, is nobody's reading books anymore. You know, we're just so inoculated with television and social media news. Uh, it seems like it's almost a, like a chore to pick up a book and actually sit down and separate from everything. But man, like I, I genuinely feel like nothing could be more healthy for your for your soul and just for your psyche in general to kind of just get away from everything and just teleport, you know, transport yourself into a, a really just a really good book. And um, I feel like people just kind of underestimate the power of that in this day and age. So I always try to highlight that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's therapeutic. You know, it's almost. Um, uh, yes, I mean, it's just like meditation almost is the best way I could put it. Yeah. <laughs> especially, you know, especially for people in prison too, on top of that, man, books are in, in most cases, the only escape at the time. So yeah. I keep, I, I love to keep preaching the, you know, the importance of books and reading and stuff like that. Cause there's so much stuff out there and realistically knowledge is infinite. Um, one thing I, I also want to touch on is, with the Austin Justice Coalition. Um, if you guys are listening to this, if you are in the Austin area or around the Austin area, uh, if you want to be a part of this, because this is a successful movement, um, you can volunteer. Uh, what, what are the process? How would you go about becoming a volunteer for um, the coalition? Um, you know, I tell people all the time, just you know, check out our website um, and, and join our newsletter to see if this is something um, that's, that's a fit for you. Right. Because, you know, we're, we're too radical for some, we're not radical enough for others. Um, you know, so always, you know, do your research and make sure this is something that you want to be a part of. And then once, you know, once you sign up, we get you into our Slack, um, or, you know, you want to join our policy team and, 
uh, you know, we just put people to work. Like it's it's very simple. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, recently, there was a news story about you had a rally plan that you decided to to cancel the rally, and that made news. Uh, you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so we we had a rally plan for I believe that was May thirty first, um, and it was just like at that particular moment in time, it was so much anger and 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 stuff. Um, going on and you know it was some looting going on and people were like really um it 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 wasn't it wasn't a family friendly environment like right and i knew that kids and um older people were going to come out to support us so i didn't want to um put them in harm's way right like if people want to protest and and do stuff in that manner like that's fine you know and i hey i'm down with the people do what you need to do but my job is also to keep people safe when they are under my watch or when they're under our watch. Um, and yeah, we canceled it. And it, it made this big, like it, it, it was this big story for some reason. I, I still don't quite understand why. Um, but then we were able to come back um, and, you know, do the, the rally on June 7th, which was huge. Um, it was, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of. And it was, you know, I think we had like 10, 12, 15,000 people. Wow. Um, and we were able to have it safe and peaceful and um and, and it was beautiful but yeah you know we canceled and um i got i got a lot of shit for that right like some people's like oh you know you can't be afraid of like the police and i was like yeah nothing to do with the police and um it, but then also a lot of people told me it was a, a really wise and smart decision um because what happened that that same night was you know um because of the friction between um the cops and the protesters and cops being who they are, they they started firing rounds at the protesters, and um, two people were were were, were critically hurt. Um, and I know that if the, if that would have happened, um, with with our name on the thing, that would have been like Chaz's and AJC's fault, right? So, um, you know, it was it was like I said, it was one of the toughest calls I had to make, but um, you know, it had to be done. And you know, I'm always gonna keep people safe. That's that's always my number one priority. Yeah, you just couldn't in clear conscience have people bringing their kids and, you know, vulnerable people out there, you know, with the potential of violence to occur. Yep. Yeah, I completely dig that. Um, so now, like, seems like the Justice Coalition is going good. You've been doing it a while. Uh, it's definitely got some traction. Uh, it's making major moves in Austin. Would you ever consider expanding to Houston or, you know, another big city in, in Texas? Or are you going to remain just focused right in the city that you're at? Um. So I think, you know, so well, I, I will say, I will say this. A lot of people don't know this. Um, I was actually in Houston for a year because um, my grandma's house burned down. So I was there a year to help her, you know, um, just, you know, live and, and, and be while the house was being redone. Um, and while I was there for that year, this had to be 2014, 20, yeah, 2014, early 2015. Um, and we actually built the Houston Justice Coalition because I was still organizing. Um, and they asked me if I wanted to be like a founder and have a role within the organization. I was like, no, you know, because I'm going back to Austin. So I'll just start, I'll just start um, a chapter there. Um, so Houston has um, a, a Houston Justice Coalition 
Um, I think I think the scope of work is slightly different, but um, you know, I mean, it's it's really up to the people, right? Like again, because I don't want people to assume that you know we have this cookie cutter mind frame around issues and how things work. Um, but if people wanted to use the name and logo and some of our tactics and, and things of that, that nature to organize the way they need to organize, then yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, that would be contingent upon the people in, in, in those prospective cities because all I know is Austin because um, because this is where this is where I live and play. I mean, you got it really down, man. I mean, you've done it. You know, a lot of people just talk about it. And I see that up here in Portland. I see that kind of everywhere. You know, people are just protesting, but there's not really end game. Um, I feel like even before the protest, obviously, you were on top of it and you were able to make a significant difference, in my opinion. And um, I just kind of, you know, if we could incorporate that blueprint more, you know, nationwide, I can only imagine what the future could hold. Um, Speaking of that, people can donate to Austin Justice Coalition, correct? Yeah, 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 if they, if they want to. <laughs> There's a link on the website, austinjustice.org? Yeah, it's um, it's it's somewhere, it is right at the top right. If you go to the, if you go to austinjustice.org, it's a green button. Um, and we will, you know, very humbly um, take your donations because we have to fuel the fight. Um you know, and it, it helps us get things done and it helps me take care of people that are doing this work. So it's a beautiful thing, man. So just that curiosity on a closing note, uh, what do you think it would take for everything to be cool, man? Like, what do you think in this day and age, everything seems so crazy and everything's just all over the place and it's kind of chaos. What do you think it would take for just police to treat people like regular human beings us to have compassion for people in prison and like what kind of change is going to need to be enacted for that to happen in your opinion? Um, I, I don't know if the police are capable of, of treating people like humans, right? Um, yeah. It's part of the, the, the fucked up power structure that comes with policing and their innate nature um, and, and really um, kind of existence to, to, maintain the status quo i tell people all the time you know at, at some point uh we as humans are gonna have to like really wake the fuck up and realize that um our greatest resource is one another and we are gonna have to like decide one day that you know what i'm not going to continue to buy into this bullshit of racism and sexism and misogyny and patriarchy um and, we, and we're gonna we're gonna have to learn how to like really lean in and love one another on a very real level. Um, and that's the only way, that's the only way we're going to not only save this planet, but save ourselves. Um, once we realize that all these things that we were fighting over and bickering over are so fucking stupid. Um, I think that's when we can get the change we want, but that change we want, um, it isn't, isn't, like, like it's it, it can't come from the government. It can't come from institutions and systems because people make up those systems, right? Like we have to do some inner mental and heart work um, so we can start treating each other the way we should be treated, which is with love and care and respect and dignity. Um, so yeah, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know when that's gonna happen. I don't know if it's gonna happen, but. It's all very simple. Uh, like we just have to be willing to 
to struggle together. Um, and when we hear the word struggle, we normally think of like, um, you know, I don't know what people think, but like when I say struggle, I'm willing to do the work with you and for you um, so we can get to a place where everybody can truly exist and be um, their whole selves. So, yeah, you know, I mean, that's dependent on us. You know, um, I have no idea. You know, people think that, you know, even if we get a new president in November, things are magically going to get better. I was just like, no, you know, we we need to. It was a moment in history where I thought, oh, man, the country and the world might be a better place um, right after 9-11. Right. Like for maybe a year, um, unless you were Muslim or, you know, like Middle Eastern. <laughs> right. Because we like this country hated those people for a year. We still hate them. We have literal laws and policies um, based around 9-11. Um, and that is like that disproportionately discriminates against people of the Muslim religion and people from that region um, on, uh, on the planet. Um, but outside of that fucked up context, for a year straight, we were in school and we sung that Proud to be an American song. Um, and we all kumbaya and we held hands and, you know, white people's holding the door open for black people. And, you know, we were all going to church together and all these beautiful things. Like somehow we have to be able to not just do that type of stuff in tragedy, right? Like after the Boston bombing, we, we you know, Boston strong, every, when bad things happen, we come together. Like how about we proactively treat each other like we give a shit, right? That's how we get to a better place in society. So, you know. Yeah, no, I agree, man. It could all be so simple, you know. It's going to take something for a mass awakening where we can just treat each other like everyone else, man. But, um, man, Chaz, I can't thank you enough for being a guest today. Um, Chaz Moore, executive director, co-founder of Austin Justice Coalition. Once again, the website is austinjustice.org. If you want to volunteer or donate, please do that. And, um, man, thank you, Alon. Uh, shout out to Meg. See you next week. And uh, Chaz, love to talk to you again in the future. Have you be a guest again, man. Great interview. And uh, thank you so much for your time, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you all so much. No problem. And uh, for everyone listening, remember to tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific time on StartupRadioNetwork.com. And we'll see you next week. Peace. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.